Amen. Thank you so much, Tanner. Hey, uh, I got a prayer request for you guys as we kick this thing off today, and this is another just testimony. Not only is our attendance, uh, we're probably looking around today in both services, we're going to hit uh, maybe our, I guess it's our fourth Sunday in a row of over 400. Man, you guys are doing awesome at coming to his house. But we got a guy in our church, uh, most of you wouldn't know him, is an uh, older gentleman by the name of Big Tommy, and uh, he uh, had been sharing the gospel with this guy all of his life, played golf with him, and um, this guy brought him to church a couple of times. And he called him up. Uh, he was dying to him, and um, and he said, "Listen," he said, "Man," he said, "You need to d- know Jesus." And this guy in our church is living out the mission of why we exist here at Connect Church. And he had the wonderful privilege of leaving, leading his one of his best all-time golfing buddies, Billy, to Christ. He got saved, and uh, he went ahead and passed on to glory. And today, Big Tommy's going to share the story at the funeral this afternoon. Would you just pray for him? He's never spoken in public, never done that. But man, how cool is it that our people are living out the mission of Connect Church? And that just so excites me because that's why we exist. Well, welcome to Connect Church. My name is Terry Pierce. I have the wonderful privilege of being the lead pastor, and right now, I really just want to sneeze. Um, but I'm going to do my best to keep on, because uh, I'd hate to blow a booger on one of these uh, nice teenagers in the front row, and so I'm sure that's a great introduction to all of our first-time guests. Uh, but you go ahead and listen to the rest of the message, because I'm sure I will say something else that will offend you as we go through this. Uh, well, uh, let's begin with this morning uh, by just sort of launching a sermon in a little different tone today. So... You were a little child for only a short while in your life. Now, some of you are still very immature, but uh, biologically speaking, you were only a little child for a short time in your life. And when you, grew, and when you think back about your childhood, your earliest memories about church life, I hope, were a good one. And before you could even walk or talk, there was someone who rocked you in a church nursery. Amen, nursery workers? There was somebody who rocked you in in a church nursery, they fed you, they played with you, and they cleaned you up so that your parents could come get you, and because the preacher went long-winded, they fed you again. Can I get a witness, nursery and children's church workers? And so that's your life, and that was sort of the early days that you can remember. And even when you were in that nursery and you were screaming, I want my mommy, there was a nursery worker who was singing to you, it's okay, sweetie, Jesus loves you in a really southern accent, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And as you grew a little older, you moved out of the nursery and you went to children's church. And there, a children's church worker taught you John 3.16, and you were able to do something that if you were in a healthy church, not in a church that was trusting in its past traditions, and they didn't like kids, and they didn't want screaming babies in their auditorium, but you went, if you go to a healthy church that loves children, you grew up and you went to a children's church that didn't have adult-sized seats in it, but you got to sit in a bright-colored room with all kind of crazy going on, and a children's pastor that was nuts, and they were teaching you in a chair just your size, or if they were really cool and hip, they had risers that you could sit on, and you were involved in a children's ministry 
that taught you how to fall in love with Jesus. And it was a happy place. It was a growing place that was filled with the chaos of kids because they were welcomed at your church. But more than anything else, if you grew up in this kind of church, you heard the gospel. A childlike faith that you were introduced to, and it was nurtured by a community of children's church workers, nursery workers, and now today, we're launching for the very first time in our church's history, this morning, right now as I preach, a preschool ministry that Bailey is leading and teaching in. And so all of these workers pouring into us as kids, not only just teaching us the knowledge, but demonstrating what God's love looks like. And here's the message that we want your child to believe in here at Connect Church. And here it is. We are the church, and you, child, are precious to us. Amen. For all of you, and it is so cool, and this is the greatest thing that I love about our church when we went to two services. And I'm looking around the room, and I'm seeing all these T-shirts and children's church T-shirt workers And we just want to say, how cool is it that you get to wear that shirt? And the great thing about our church is that back in the day, and this is why you need to sign up to serve in these departments, because back in the day, people used to gripe and complain. I'll tell you what, all I ever do is work in the nursery, and all I ever got to do is work in children's church, and I never get to sit in big church, and I get to sing and do all that. Not here. Not here, baby. No excuses. No excuses. You get to worship one and serve one. You get to, man, you you get to be in church every Sunday here, worship one and serve one. And so many of you are wearing the t-shirts because you just got out of, uh, you know, the sermon was like 20 minutes. You just got out of last service in children's church and nursery. And this is why you need to sign up and serve. And this morning, as we begin this message, can we not just give a huge shout out and a round of applause for all of our preschool children's church and nursery workers. Man, what a great job that they do here at Connect Church. And as the old advertisement into the military was, God wants you, so sign up. Uh, All right, and so here's what we do. But here's the rub to all of that. Now you're grown up, or at least you're supposed to have. And you realize that this is not the final chapter of my life of having a children's ministry like that. You've become an adult. And your challenges are increasing every day of your life. And it's a far cry from that innocence, fun, and experience that we had in children's ministry. Your new daily is you're dealing with political correctness, relativism, gender choice, what should I decide I want to be, sexual experiences with no boundaries, and those fuzzy feelings of children's church and nicely decorated rooms and Andrew screaming and yelling and having fun with you guys is replaced with fear with doubts, with disappointments, dare I even say it, confusion. Our goal here at Connect Church is simply this, is to disciple your children. And what we mean by discipling your children, to teach them how to fall in love with Jesus. And then to do the same with you as mom and dad, single adults, and grandparents. We equip our children to be resilient in their faith, and we want to equip you 
as an adult to be resilient in your faith. The message this morning is simply this. To your grown-up selves in the audience today, may you never forget, may you never forget that the church has never stopped loving you. The church has never stopped loving you. The future of the church rests with you. This is what we believe, guys. It's up on the screen. The future of the church rests with us getting this down. So how does that happen in our lives? Matt Markins has written a book, and uh, we've got a picture of it up on the screen, and it's a book entitled Resilient. And in this, he talks about how to develop children in the home, uh, disciple them, and to build into them a fearless future for the church. In other words, what we're teaching a generation here at Connect Church is not how to circle the wagons, not how to protect our kids so that they never are exposed in the world, but we want to teach and raise up a generation that's going to go make a difference. And we want to teach our children that as they live here and they go out, that they're going to make a difference. And whether it's Ariana, glad to have you back in our service this morning, and we send them off to Florida, uh, it doesn't matter that they're going to have a faith that has been poured into them, and they're going to be able, did I say it wrong? Uh, so, uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, anyway, and so, yeah, my bad, uh, whoever you are. Anyway, and so, uh, it's good uh, that we want to pour into you guys, and we want to help teach you, that was terrible, uh, we want to teach you guys how to grow up in the faith and how to believe in him and here's what we want to teach you guys is resilience resilience that even when you make a stupid name uh, call out in the church service be prepared to do that right before you do it it's okay because you still get to preach the rest of the sermon here's the definition of resilient it is a person who is able to withstand or recover quickly from difficult conditions every parent with a small child this is where you're living at this is the definition of your life, amen? A person who's able to withstand and recover quickly from difficult conditions. This is every hour. If you're a, a teenage parent, this is the definition of your life. We need resilience if we're going to have a home where Jesus is king. We fail him so much in this thing called life. And whether it's marriage, parenting, grandparent that we talked to you guys about at the conference yesterday, uh, we talked to you guys about when you're failing your finances, how to get out of debt, and how to stay out of debt. We're going to constantly pour practical things into your lives here at Connect Church, just like we did yesterday. And we're going to help you get through and how to fall in love with Jesus. But know this, you're going to struggle with this, and you're going to continue to fail at it, and what you need to know this morning, did I mention this, is resilience. So um, what's it like to be perfect in church? There is no such thing. Did you hear the story about the couple that was asked about their perfect marriage? <laughs> you know, like this one. <laughs> so uh, they interviewed him. They said, so tell us about your marriage. And the woman spoke up, you know, as they often do. And she said, uh, I want to tell you, there is absolutely nothing that my husband would not do for me. And matter of fact, preacher, there ain't nothing, there ain't nothing that I would not do for my husband. Matter of fact, for 30 years, we ain't done nothing for each other. And so that sort of describes where some of you guys are at in your marriage. <laughs> you think that's funny, hang on to this one. So some people believe that there's three rings that describe 
the marriage experience. Three rings. All you single ladies out there, are you ready? Three rings that describe the, mar- the, the marriage. This is what you're going for. The engagement ring. Oh. The wedding ring. So cool. And the suffering. <laughs> Amen. And so, anyway, so that's not our goal here. But, uh, dude, Terry, do not clap your hands. Anyway, and so, and so anyway, uh, here we are. And that's sort of reality that we want to talk to you guys. That's terrible. Uh, you guys are embarrassing. Uh, but we want to talk to you guys today about how to be resilient through these experiences. And trust us, our home is under attack. Uh, the reason that you feel frustrated and the reason that you need to be in church and we pour into you every week is because you are under attack. And we, and we see our country and we see all the battles that is going on right now and, and you know, looking at world wars and, and some of y'all are still freaking out over COVID and we're living in fear and it dominates uh, everything that you're doing. And, and, and you've got to stop listening to the enemy. And let me help you out this morning. The enemy, Satan, is trying to destroy you. He's trying to destroy your marriage. He's trying to destroy our country. He's doing a great job. And he's trying to destroy our community. And he's trying to destroy the church. I got a text from pastor friend this morning. I've dealt with two or three just in the last week that are resigning the church. A good friend of mine, a young, talented guy, he said, man, pray for me this morning. I've had it. I can't take it anymore. Nobody, everybody's dominated by fear. They're not coming back to church. And he's resigning this morning. And it's a devastating time. Churches are dying. And yet all the while, the devil's just laughing his way all the way to the bank. And do you want to understand this morning how we change this? How do we change it? It's not at the ballot box. We were in the same stupid mess when Trump was right. We were in the same stupid mess with Biden. Maybe a little worse, whatever you all want to feel like on the political spectrum. I don't know where you're at on it, but I'm telling you, the politics in your vote hasn't changed the mess that we're in with COVID and all the other stuff. Y'all got to quit listening to the wrong sources and turn to Jesus. And by the way, we're not going to fix this at the ballot box or by your social means or your political persuasion. We're going to fix this, not even at church. It's going to get fixed at home. When we disciple our children to fall in love with Jesus and the main thing that they want all the rest of their life, whatever your name is, is to love Jesus <laughs> and to follow him all the days of your life. And so we pour into our families the need to be resilient. And here's what we're going to share with you today. How do we bounce back from our failures? God has created you and me to be resilient. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, I told him chapter 6 this morning, but you know, it's, it's the other chapter 4. So Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, and we're going to look at how God wants to build a resilient home in your family, in your context, even with you as grandparents and even singles here this morning. Listen, where you're living at, he wants you to build a resilient life. Uh, whatever you want to call it this morning, and, and we want to share with you guys to do that. So, some of you were here this morning when I just, I mean, some of you were sitting here thinking, while I described 
that great experience of growing up at a church like Connect Church and nursery and children's church, preschool, and all those cool stuff. And some of you are sitting here, dude, man, I've never grew up in church as a kid. My parents never took me to church. They divorced. They were alcoholics, abuse. And you're going, dude, I didn't have that nice, fluffy feeling the way I grew up. Never grew up with those kind of memories. Man, I come from a jacked up, screwed up background. Look at me this morning. Welcome to the party. Because you're in a room filled with all the rest of us are in the same boat. It doesn't matter whether you grew up with a perfect home because, listen to me this morning, there was no perfect home. That family that went to church, they weren't perfect either. None of us are. Matter of fact, can I tell you about mine? Resilient home? Yes. Perfect home? Absolutely flipping not. Here's the story about we, have, we raised three sons, and uh, Aaron, our oldest, uh, and, and this is our home. This was our experience. So our oldest son, Aaron, was a senior in high school at Morville, and, he did, and this was sort of the routine with him is he had all of his friends. He played basketball. He's a really good basketball point guard for Morville, and uh, so all of his uh, athletic buddies and all of his friends, and so they were always coming to our house. We were constantly flipping feeding everybody uh and anyway and so his friends were always at the house they had a, a super bowl party his senior year senior year of high school he had a super bowl party had all of his friends over there andrew never brought his friends over wonder why uh, but anyway and so aaron uh, <laughs> uh andrew had uh, aaron had all of his friends over there super bowl party the house is packed uh pizza food everywhere and all this and during the halftime show sister belen decides we're not going to watch the entertainment and so she takes uh pastor's wife and she sticks in a vhs tape this is something you guys can google later and uh and anyway it was this big block and and it had video of Aaron when he was like three or four. And so all of Aaron's friends as a senior in high school, the room's packed. All these big athletes, all this stuff going on. And she pops into VHS tape. And on there, we asked a question to little four-year-old Aaron. And we said, Aaron, you know how you did? You had the big giant TV camera back in those days. And so, so we're recording. And you go, Aaron, what's your favorite movie? And Aaron Four-year-old little boy, he was talking since he was like one hour old. He has this big George Lopez head, you know. And so, so he's just on there, and he's just, you know, ready. To, and he's Mr. Camera Hog the whole time. So he looks into the camera, just, you know, a uh, little bitty runt self, and he looks into the camera, and he goes, My favorite movie, Cinderella. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Those big old boys from the ball team fell off the couch and I mean, they are in the floor laughing. So the rest of Aaron's senior year, this is a great moment as a parent, by the way. This is what we live for. And so, uh, so the rest of Aaron's senior year, they would go up to him and go, Hey, Cinderella. Uh, and so, so it was awesome. Uh, we didn't have a perfect family. And then came Andrew. He's a middle child. Literally, his picture's in psychological textbooks. Middle child syndrome. He's in the bathtub with Aaron, and he gets mad, and Aaron was always bossing him, always telling him. He literally told Andrew what to eat, when he wanted to eat, and all that stuff, and Andrew would just go, hmm, I don't know. So he gets frustrated with him, 
true story. I know Blaine's going to kill me, but he bites Aaron's backside. I mean, he got so mad, and so he just takes a chunk. But it gets, it, no, no, this is my time. You, you have your time with the kids. For those that don't know, he's on our staff and my middle son. So anyway, and um, we did the best we could. So it got worse with him. When he gets to second grade, talk about not perfect families, resilient. He's in second grade, and the teacher calls and says, we need a meeting. You know, it's not good. And she calls Belen in and my wife, and she goes to the meeting, and she goes, and, she, and our church was located across from the school there in Atlanta, and, and so she knew that we were a pastor's family, and she knew, we, she knew the, all three boys, and she says, Sister Belen, uh, we had an issue with your son Andrew, and we never had these problems with Aaron. And anyway, and so we had this issue with Andrew, and it really took in racial overtones, and we just needed to let you know that it caused problems. And she said, and I'm concerned. And she said, what in the world happened? And she goes, we were talking about international students. And, you know, we asked if anybody was from any other country. And your son raised his hand. And he goes, Miss, whatever her name was, second grade. And he goes, uh, I want you to know that my two brothers... They have dark skin and they're Mexican, <laughs> but I'm white. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> Belen could have crawled under the desk. And so the teacher asked her, she goes, I know your husband's the pastor, but I assume that he was the father of all three <laughs> children. <laughs> And then there was Adam. We didn't come from a perfect home either. And then there was Adam. And Adam comes in. He was just this kid and never got excited and he never got depressed and he was just whatever. And so he comes to Blinn one day as much excitement as Adam could. And he goes, Mom, I got something really cool to tell you. This was as exciting as it gets. There was no Adam. And she goes, what, Adam? She goes, he goes, I figured out Aaron's passcode. I watched him type it on the computer today. And she goes, oh, what's Aaron's passcode? We had a computer, John computer in the living room, so everybody, you know, I mean the playroom. And so she said, I watched him type it in. She goes, what's Aaron's passcode? Star, 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 star. Get it? Because when you type it in, it just shows up as star. Okay. Anyway, and so, <laughs> so my point is simply this, is that my three sons are not the sharpest crayons in the box, okay? Uh, and so we didn't have a perfect family, and even though they grew up with children's church and all that stuff, we still had problems in our home, and we made uh, mistakes. And yet this morning, what I want to share with you today, that in our text today, that we're going to teach you how to build a home that is resilient. And what I want you to understand this morning, and this is key, is that God is not asking you, nobody's asking you, to create a perfect home. Y'all are killing yourselves and beating yourselves up trying to be perfect parents. And let me just let you in on a little secret on this side of it. It ain't going to happen. So what you need to understand is quit trying to be the perfect American dream that doesn't exist and is not out there and become the biblical home that God created you to be to help you understand that when you do mess up, when you do make mistakes, that the amazing grace of Jesus Christ, a resilient God that forgives you, can do the same in your home.
Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, gives us a theological position to make this argument. Since then, we have a great high priest who has, not, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, resilient. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, resilient. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, resilient. Let us then with confidence circle that word. Not because of who you are, but because of him. Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need, resilience. And so this morning, what is happening in this text, and let me walk you through the biblical context of our passage this morning to help you value and appreciate what it means to be resilient in your home. And here's how you do that. It's because you have a great high priest. You have a great high priest who loves you and is interceding for you. And here's the story of it. In the book of Hebrews, the writer, we're not sure who wrote this book, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but he is making the case to a group of Jewish, in culture, Christians. In other words, the Jewish community had become converts to Christianity. They're following Jesus They've been kicked out of the synagogue. They've been alienated from their families and relationships. And he says to them, you guys need to hang in there. And you know what they were doing in the book of Hebrews? They were sort of like Baptist folks. They were going back to the way their mama taught them and back to their old traditions. And they were saying, you know what? This is really hard to follow Christ. We're kicked out of our community. We don't get to go to the synagogue. And just having a relationship with Jesus is so much harder than following the rules of the Old Testament. We want to go back to where we check a box and we follow the rules and then we have religion. That's easier. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, stop the train. That is a lie from hell. It doesn't work because you're, you're, you're way more screwed up than what you realize and you just feel better about yourself because we did the religious thing. We came to church and what happens in our context? All of a sudden, things don't go perfect in our family. Our marriages, our teenage years, we make mistakes. And what do we think? And the back of our mind says, well, I messed up, therefore I should get booted out of the church. I'm not good enough. Church people don't like me. I don't dress like them. Blah, 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 blah. And what do we do? We revert to the way that mama and grandma taught us. And I'm telling you, it's wrong. What we need to run to is a God who so loved you that he sent his son to live for you on this planet. And not only did he live for you, he died for you, and, and he died for you, and now he's alive this morning interceding for you, not for you to follow a bunch of rules, but so when you screw up, you go to him. And he forgives you by his marvelous grace. 
And he says, let's do better. Let's raise up a family. And the goal of our family is a bunch of kids who simply want to love Jesus all the days of their lives. Resilience of the high priest. And here's what it looks like. Can I take you through a little theological journey this morning? In chapter 1 of the book of Hebrews, he says this high priest that we just read about, in chapter 1 of Hebrews, he is the purification for our sin. Know this this morning. You don't need to go to a booth and confess your sins to me. I will not be sitting here in a booth and you come up and tell me all of your problems. I'm going to eat. And here's why. It's not good enough for me to forgive you of your sins. I'm telling you, once and for all, Jesus Christ became the ultimate high priest. You understand this morning, whatever you came in with here today, whatever mess-ups that you had in your life, did you fight on your way to church? Okay? Uh, Whatever happened in your life today and know that you failed God at, listen to me this morning. You woke up. Here's what I do every morning in my life. I wake up and go, oh God, I am so sorry for what I did yesterday. I am sorry for the way I treated my wife. I'm sorry for what I said. I'm sorry for getting mad at Tanner in Arkansas. Uh, Whatever it is uh, that pops up in your life. And 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 I ask God to forgive me. And you know what God says because of chapter 1? He says, what you talking about, son? My God's Southern. And he said, what are you talking about? And I said, but you know what I did because you're God and you're all-knowing and, and I did bad stuff and I did the wrong things. And God says, heck no. Do you not understand who my son is? I sent my son to purify your sins. On that cross, he nailed those sins once and for all to that cross. You are pure, you are holy, not because you deserve it. I know all your screw-ups, but because of what I've done, you've confessed that to me. Now go and live in the freedom and the grace of my forgiveness. Somebody say amen. Folks, that's purification. Quit trying to clean up your life. Jesus has already done it. It's a matter of applying it to your life and mine. So not only is chapter 1 the purification of our sins, in chapter 2 he goes on and says that this high priest is merciful and he is a faithful high priest. Can anybody testify this morning that your high priest has been faithful? He's been merciful when you didn't deserve it. Chapter 3 he describes him as the apostle and the high priest of our confession. And so ultimately in chapter 7 through 9, the writer of Hebrews is dealing with the authority of Jesus as the great high priest, and he says to you and I, the only confession that needs to be made is to Jesus. So we put all of those pieces together, and here's the truth that Jesus wants you and I to know. Look at verse 15. We can bring that back up, Chuck. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You understand what Jesus did for us as the high priest, who he is, and his authority to forgive you of your sins. He has the authority to forgive you of your sins. So quit beating yourself up. And here's why. Because of what this verse says. Do you know who Jesus is this morning? This is what we preach to you every Sunday. Jesus Christ came to this planet. He's God's son. He is 
the creator of this planet and you. And he came to this John Brown world and he lived for us. And while he did that, he faced Satan in the wilderness, imano imano, face to face. Satan tempted Jesus to give it all up. And he said, I'll give you all power on this planet. And Satan has the power to give you a lot on this planet. And he says, I'm offering you control over this planet. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, all three times because I'm on a mission from my Father. I am doing my Father's will, Ernie. And then on the cross, Satan watches and comes to Jesus and he whispers in his ear, in your ear, in, in, in his ear, and has he ever done this to you? And while Jesus is on the cross, he whispers in his ear and he says, would you not look at these people? These very people that you came to love, they have literally nailed your body to a cross. And by the way, Satan knows who Jesus is. He believes in Jesus. He says, you could call 10,000 angels right now. You could destroy this whole planet. Why don't you do it? Why don't you do it? Look at them. They're spitting on you. They're cursing you. They're shouting out, we hate you. And the whole time, Satan, why would you do this for people like you? And Jesus turns to the enemy, tempted, and says, oh, he was tired. He was physically in his capacity to do anything else. And in his moment of weakness, the human side of Jesus, he shouted, not my will but the Father's will be done. Somebody say amen. You see, Jesus understands what it is to be tempted yet without sin. So my brothers and sisters this morning, this is the truth that you build a resilient home on, is that you take your failures, you take your frustrations, you take the times that you've made a mistake as a parent, and you teach your children how to run to a Jesus as their high priest who heals them and forgives them and gives them a second chance. The Father teaches us that Jesus is the resiliency that allows us to raise up our families. So here's how it applies to your home and mine. We have made a huge mistake in trying to raise our kids for the American dream and even the church dream of being good kids rather than being kids who simply want to love Jesus for the rest of their lives. We had a, a family when I was pastoring in South Georgia, and we, uh, it was my first church, so, so get this. This is how stupid and crazy it was. I'm a 23-year-old lead pastor of a church. And that's nuts. And I don't, I don't even know how to process that. And so anyway, uh, but we did it. And we were there and we were trying to do everything and made so many mistakes. But uh, we were there and we had this guy in the church. And he's like, uh, unlike a lot of guys I've met in churches over the years and none of them here. And anyway, and so this guy was one of those old uh, timey guys and he was just letting me know that he was, you know, all about all the rules and didn't really like having a young preacher. And so in one of my opening Sundays, he says to me, James, he says, I just want you to know, young man, you know, and he was always letting me know that, you know, he was like in his 70s or 100. And uh, anyway, and uh, so he just said, I want you to know, young man, 
He goes, and he said, I've watched at least a dozen preachers come in. They went like every two to three years. It's Free Old Baptist Church. Anyway, and he said they come and go like, you know, revolving doors here. And he said, I've been through here through all of them, and I'll be here when you're gone. And I'm like, yay, Jesus. Anyway, and so, so that was very encouraging words. But him and, and his wife, her name was Vasti. And she had a good old-fashioned southern biblical name, Miss Vasti. And so uh, I went to visit Miss Vasti as a new young preacher in town. And I pull up to visit her and her husband uh, that was so loving and kind. And I pull up to their house. And um, you know me, I'm driving in at 100 miles an hour. And so I'm sliding up. And Sister Vasti was sitting on the front porch, just a-rocking. And uh, she's sitting there on the front porch. And, and I scared her to death pulled up and she lived in this little mill village and they had these all these little houses where they used to do cotton mill stuff and so all of them were looked the same and they were tiny and next to each other and she's just sitting there rocking and uh, and I pulled up and rolled up in there and all of a sudden she tried to get out of that rocker but preacher was too young and too fast and uh, and I scared her to death and and all of a sudden I looked down and um, she had a nice little pot by her rocking chair and this little pot, some of y'all are Southern enough to go ahead and figure out where we're going with this. And apparently she had a cold because she spit into that pot. <laughs> and I was from Illinois. I had no clue what tobacco was. But I found out quickly from Sister Vasta. So she, she's got this big old chew of tobacco in her mouth. And, and, you know, you grew up in those kind of generation in church that, you know, you didn't want your preacher knowing your little private sins. You know, we went to church and they dressed up and they told me how to do and what I was dressed like. And they told me what I was doing wrong, but they were perfect in their home because, you know, they didn't do anything wrong. And they wrote and they did all the rules. Their kids weren't allowed to go swimming. Their kids weren't allowed to go to the movies. Their kids weren't allowed to wear shorts because they were the perfect family. <laughs> and so, uh, and so uh, I roll up so quick, you know how I drive and stuff. So I roll up and I pop out of the car and I have no idea what that pot is, you know. And all of a sudden, bless her heart, she's trying to get out of the rocking chair. She sticks her foot in it. <laughs> and she's trying to run in the house because she don't want to see the young preacher know that she's chewing the backer. And it's sort of sliding, you know, out her chin there and all this stuff. And so I get up. She can't get to the door. She's older. She's done got her foot in it and everything else. And I roll up and I go, hey, Sister Vasti, you know, because I don't know what's going on. Uh, what you doing? And I kid you, what happened next is the grossest thing. But she goes, and she swallowed it. She was more worried about what I would think <laughs> than she was of, you know, getting rid of that. She got sick as a dog, <laughs> and I had no clue what was going on. I still didn't know. And so I said, can I pray over you? <laughs> and I didn't know. I went home and told Belen, and she told me. Uh, but anyway, uh, I go, no way. Uh, and so bless her heart, she died like a year later. But anyway, <laughs> I did her funeral. But anyway, I didn't even charge. So, but, but here's the point. <laughs> I would spend the next three years, in all seriousness, with her kids that are grown and her grandkids. And every single one of them had nothing to do with church. Big old family. Almost every one of them were either alcoholic, drug addicts, half of them had been in jail or were currently in jail 
multiple marriages, their young grandkids already kicked out of school and addicted to drugs. But you know what? They were the perfect family. They followed all the rules because their goal was, was to have a good family. God has never asked you to raise a great family. So where in the world do you guys get off thinking? And who, by the way, who judges what a great family is? Y'all are killing yourselves to have the perfect kids who dress a certain way, who acts a certain way. And by the way, who's judging you? Who's going to your house and writing down as American Idol how you did this week with raising your family? Why are you killing yourself when who's in charge of judging you? The only thing that matters is your family screwed up just like everybody else and we run to our great high priest every single day and we ask for forgiveness and we ask him to help instill within our kids that they will love Jesus all the days of their lives. You're putting a false pressure on yourselves. The only opinion that matters is the high priest. The only opinion that matters is the high priest. So here's some important questions to ask so that you will not be like the Thomas family And here's what we're asking you today to consider about your home. Is it resilient? Are your kids becoming disciples or is the culture engulfing them? Are we preparing kids to function as Christ's followers in this culture or is our guidance better fit for the previous generation? You understand this morning that we're not going back to Mayberry. Man, I love the show. Blaine and I were watching Barney this week make a fool of himself. Looked over, we, see, we could literally quote the lines that they're getting ready to say. We've seen it a thousand times. But you know what? Mayberry's not coming back. And y'all gotta quit dreaming and talking about it like it is. You know what? You're here today. This is the culture and the generation that we're in, and we've got to decide we're going to engage the culture, and we're going to take it on because the same God that created us is still on the throne, and he wants us to re-engage the culture that we're living in. Quit trying to make it like the past and live today by the grace of Jesus Christ. Are we effectively engaging the culture or being silenced by it? And the final question is this. Are we protecting our kids rather than preparing them to engage in a post-Christian culture. The truth of the matter is, the lesson that we learn about resilience is that we've all made mistakes. We do not have a perfect home. And the challenge of the great high priest is that he, want to help, he wants to intercede for you and I. And he says, I want you to stop living in fear I need you to get involved in church, and this is why we have connect groups on Sunday night, because as broken parents, as struggling parents, as struggling grandparents, singles, we're going to meet together, 
and you're going to hear from some folks that are older that's going to be in your group or someone that are younger. And even if you don't get great words of wisdom on Sunday night as we go over the Word of God and we do that, and this is why we don't have lessons for the kids on Sunday night. And hear me this morning because I'm going to tell you this quickly, but here's why we have adult uh, studies on Sunday nights. This is why you need to get involved in a small group because even when you don't get great words of wisdom that night from the others around you, you need to know that you're not the only one that's battling this. You're not the only one that's frustrated and failed and struggling in your daily life and more than anything you need a group of people that are going to hold you accountable that's going to love on you and pray for you to have a better week this is why we do discipleship because you need a group of people encouraging you hang in there you can get through this we're with you the holy spirit the great high priest is interceding for you we're going to be there with you as well we still screw up too and we understand that together and by the way your kids are not going to learn how to love jesus the rest of their life from andrew preschool or the nursery it happens at home and the reason that we pour into the adults on Sunday night, because if you guys get discipled and you follow him, then you're going to teach your kids. And they're around you 167 of the 168 hours a week. They need you. They need you, grandparent. They need you. It's up to us to disciple our own kids. <clears throat> Dr. Kimmel uh, writes in his book, and he tells us, and let me wrap this up real quickly, a couple of resources. We're going to skip to this, Chuck. And here's a couple of more resources that you can go to that we've got. A, many of you didn't know, we have a Christian bookstore right out here. And if you'll go to these guys and uh, tell them to have Andrew order these resources, uh, they'll get them to you. Uh, connecting Church at Home. And I want to give you four quick principles about all this, and we'll wrap all this up. Uh, D6 logo, uh, D6 at home, I'm sorry, is a uh, great family devotion. You can Google that. Uh, you can do family devotions. All of these are just resources. The greatest thing you can do is Monday, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. This is what we teach uh, here at our church. Spend time with family devotions. Take 10 minutes a, a night, Monday, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. Go to church on Wednesday, church on Sunday, and then Friday and Saturday, just go have fun with your kids. Anybody can follow this. Not legalistic, not overwhelming. Monday, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. So what we did raising our three boys is we had a family time of sharing and reading a scripture, sharing a thought, using what we didn't even have these resources, and then we prayed over our kids. Two-thirds of the time, it was torturous, and they got nothing out of it, it felt like. But that other 30%, God moved, and he spoke into their hearts, and he changed their lives. We taught them about who the high priest was, even in our weakest moments. And so as you do this, here's a resource. And one of the great resources that we have absolutely free here is right now media. Over a thousand videos, Christian videos. All you got to do is go to the table out here, scan in that QR code, sign up. We pay for it. Over a thousand Christian videos, uh, and not just sermons. We're talking about kids' videos, uh, how to raise kids, how to do marriage, how to do finances, everything that you would ever want to know from a Christian perspective in your life, how to find a, 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 if you're single, how to find a good Christian guy, how to find a good Christian girl, all of those Christian resources out there that we're pouring into your lives. Right now, media, all of it's free. 
we want to help you guys carry this out, what it's like to be resilient in your faith and in your life. Now, here's the four things I want to close with real quickly this morning. And here's how we develop a, a, a grace-based, resilient home. Number one, grace-based parents and churches give the children the freedom to be different. Grace-based parents and, ch- and churches give children to, the freedom to be different. We had three boys, absolutely personality development. They're not even on the same radar. I wonder sometimes uh, who had these kids. And you know what? We didn't force Andrew to try to be like Aaron. He was a compliant child, sports guy. Andrew uh, was not a compliant child, and he sucked at sports. We let him be him. And by the way, uh, as you go through that process, don't try to make your kids look and act like the other kids or be preacher's kids. Uh, Andrew came home one day. Here's a family pic. And, uh, and he had hair like that. <laughs> and, you know, back in the day, I remember growing up when our parents like, would like to beat us and pitch a fit because we had the hair that was too long or the styles of our clothes. You know what? I thought it looked stupid, still do. But we didn't make a scene about Andrew's hair. If he wanted to look like a moron and go to Morville like that, that was on him. <laughs> and he did, and he was proud of it. And for some stupid reason, the girls still went after him, and I have no idea why. They were Morville girls, nothing personal. Anyway, <laughs> so, sorry. oh my gosh, I shouldn't have said that. Anyway, sorry. Anyway, dang it. Uh, but you know what we did is we let him be who he was. And we said, your value is not in your hair. Your value is in Mark, who you are in Jesus Christ as your high priest. Number two, not only to let your kids be that, but grace-based parents and churches give children the freedom to be vulnerable. You need to be able to let your kids come to you with all of their emotions, with all of their wacky feelings that they have. And sometimes we get old and we forget about where they're at. And you need to let them come to you and just tell them, this is how I feel about this. Kids are emotional today. They literally drive me insane about your all's Generation Z. You guys get worked up and, oh, my math problems and I don't know what to do or whatever. And I want to go, suck it up, buttercup. Good night. You're never going to use it again anyway. But anyway, uh, so I didn't say that out loud. But, but the truth of the matter is is that you got to let them be who they are in this generation number three is we realize that grace-based parents and churches give children the freedom to be candid one of the hardest things that ever happened in our life was our oldest son came to us and he was like nine or ten years of age and Aaron sat down with his mom and dad one night in our family devotion time and he said I can't sleep and for nearly a year Aaron would have nightmares and be tormented we believe demonically, Satan was trying to sift our kid. And he could not sleep because he felt like he was dying and going to hell every night. And we taught him the high priest. But you know what we did? Is it wasn't helping. So Belinda and I would be on our knees every night in our bedroom weeping and praying for Jesus Christ to overcome the evil one. And by the way, when nothing else could be done, we didn't tell our son that he was a bad kid. We didn't tell our kid that he was a bad seed or that he was evil. What we did is we recognized that was just the enemy's attack because I'm convinced on this side of it that the enemy knew what our son was going to do one day and he was going to go preach the gospel. And that's exactly where he's at this morning. And you know how he won? Because Jesus Christ interceded and he kicked that demon out of our house and sent him back to hell where he came from. And our son got delivered and he had the freedom to come to us and be candid.
Number four. Number four, and we're done. Grace-based parents and churches give children the freedom to make mistakes and to know that it's okay. In 1961, NASA made a decision that changed our space program forever. They could not build a rocket that would take man to the moon. So they decided all of the data, they read all of the literature, all the experts in science that was pouring into them, and they realized this is just, we're never going to get there. There's too much data, too much fear. We're never going to be able to do this. And so NASA made a, dis, uh, a distinctive decision that would change the, 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 uh, the space world forever. They focused on three things. They said, we're going to forget all of this people that's telling us that we can't do it. And we're going to focus on propulsion, on navigation, and life support. And by 1969, eight years later, Stanley, they put a man on the moon. Because they simplified it and simply did three things and did it really well and it worked. And what I'm trying to teach you all today is what Jesus is trying to say to you and I. Our goal is to help our kids come to a place where they just believe that the only thing God wants for them is to love his son Jesus for the rest of their life. That's your goal. That's your goal as a grandparent. That's your goal as a parent is to raise up kids who want to love Jesus the rest of their life. Quit worrying and freaking out over the rest of it. And if we'll do that, here's the definition that I want to leave you with. Resilient child discipleship. The summary of this whole sermon focuses on three things, mom and dad. Teach your children that they belong. They were created by God, not an accident, and they belong to him. Teach your children to believe that Jesus Christ came to redeem them and to save them and that he is real and he's at the right hand as the high priest interceding for them today. And then teach them to become a part of God's community. And I'm telling you, if we do that with our kids, we're going to raise a generation who understand how to follow him. Will you stand with me this morning? Resilient Homes. I don't know what your heart's condition is this morning, but if you're here today, you've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've explained to you why he came, why he lived, why he died, and where he's at this morning. And if you've never had that personal connection with Jesus Christ, we're going to sing a verse of invitation, and our counselors will meet with you at an old-fashioned altar, and they'll pray over you and share with you how to have a personal relationship with a great high priest. And maybe you're here this morning, and for whatever reason, the devil has beaten you up as a parent. Maybe you've never forgiven yourself for how you screwed up as a parent in the past. Welcome to the club. Today, I stand before you not as a great parent, not as a perfect parent, but I stand before you as a resilient parent and grandparent because of my great high priest. If you need to come today, and turn it all over back to Jesus. Commit your kids and your grandkids to Jesus. The only thing that matters is that they fall in love with him. As we sing, would you come? Thank you for listening to the Sermon Playback Podcast from Connect Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Connect Church has two worship services on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 10.30. We sincerely hope you'll visit. For more information and details, or if you have any questions you'd like answered, 
please visit our website at www.triconnect.church. Again, that's www.triconnect.church.